Five scores! Rick Bod. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bod. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 116 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs Fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Uh, we're not too bad, Michael. We're uh, getting through the last bit of snow, hopefully, here. <laughs> getting ready yeah. for golf season. <laughs> yeah, well, it's going to be pretty tough finding your ball in uh, some of the fairways, the way uh, <laughs> the stuff's been dropping the last few days. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, I wasn't expecting that, but then again, March, we usually have one or two good storms and then things start getting better. Well, we're praying for the better. And speaking of the better, they don't come any better than today. How about, how'd you like that? Uh, like, oh, yeah. How about that for a lead in, right? Because that's just absolute skill of the podcaster. Squid is someone you're very familiar with, but Leaf Nation's very, very familiar with. He was originally drafted first overall by the Quebec Nordiques in the 1989 draft, spent the first four years of his career in Quebec before being traded to Toronto, where he played the majority of his career, serving as captain for 11 seasons. He's the all-time leading Leaf goal scorer, points leader, first Swedish player to score 500 goals, average better than a point a game over his career, three gold medals with Sweden at the World Championships, and a team captain of Sweden's gold medal in Turin in 2006 at the Olympics. He was elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2012, named one of 100 greatest players of all time, and has a statue in Lenswick Row outside of Scotiabank Arena. I have to wow. stop this. We only have so much time, okay? We can't keep going on about this. That's enough. Uh, that's, that, that's pretty damn impressive. Well, without any further ado, <laughs> all right, let's welcome Matt Sundin. Matt, first off, thanks for joining us, and how's things? Everything is great. Very nice introduction there. I got to remind my kids once in a while that I, I had a good hockey career back then. They don't, they don't listen to me nowadays. <laughs> well, so how are well, you? All you need to do is, is show them what Mike just said, and then they'll exactly. understand. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Nice to have me. Thanks for having me on, on board today, guys. So now, how are you keeping busy these days? Well, uh, you know, I... Um, I'm there. I talked to another former teammate today. I said, you had your small children during your career and I had them after. And, you know, the kids are 10, 8 and 6. So oh. <laughs> once the day, days are over here chasing them around. We just had a, a winter break last week where the kids were out of school and we were up in the mountains here skiing and all that. And now I need to go on a vacation after that. <laughs> chasing the kids around. I thought it was I thought it was hard playing in the National Hockey League until I uh, start taking care of the three kids. But but everything is great. Uh, three kids. Um, I got some other businesses going. I have my foundation with University of Toronto and um, Karolinska Institute. We uh, nominate. Uh, we have a post postdoc uh, that we uh, fund doctors for their postdoc studies. So I have spent some time doing that. So. Things are busy. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you just answered the question I was going to ask you. Do you still keep in touch with a lot of guys in Toronto that you played with? 
there's a few guys, you know. I, I think, as as many of you know, everybody is is uh, living far away from each other, and and uh, everybody gets on with their lives after their career. But it's we had a great weekend here when Rick and and uh, some of the guys from Toronto was over for the Boris Salming. A, a game and stay in touch uh, in touch with a few guys but as years go by you know and, and if you're not in the same area or you don't meet up for hockey things it's it could be uh, long um, between the meetings but it's always great to see each other and and every time you do it feels like yesterday right well i was going to ask yeah. you about the boreas salming uh, uh you know um tribute and event that you guys just partaked in um squid has been telling me all about it and he said you know, how emotional it was, just how fantastic it was. Uh, now, from you, from the Swedish side, how did you view the whole event? Well, I, I think it, I think it was really good. I think we raised a lot of money for uh, the ALS Foundation that Boris started. I think uh, Brynäs, uh, the, the town, Gävle, where, where Boris played two years in the, in the Swedish league, did a fantastic job mm -hmm. of uh, arranging this, this event. You know, it's a sold-out arena. Uh, the, they broadcasted nationally on TV, which made it obviously helped us raise a lot of money. And the most important thing that Toronto Maple Leafs came over with an alumni team. And I think for, for us that are part of the alumni of Toronto, and many of us don't get a chance to come to Toronto on a, on a weekly basis. And for, for, so for Rick and all the guys coming over from Toronto for this weekend, it's a long trip. It's a, it's a big commitment, but that really made the, the whole event uh, as good as it was. So there's a lot of different parts, but big, big uh, thumbs up for Toronto alumni making a trip over and making this event happen. It's great. Yeah, it was, uh, it was unbelievable. I, I enjoyed every single minute of it. Uh, well, except that night, I never got much sleep, but, <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, the, the whole event was fantastic. Uh, getting to see Boria's kids that I hadn't seen for, you know, however many years uh, was unbelievable. And, uh, and I think Matt said it uh, the best. The place where he played before he came to the National Hockey League did a, a, an unbelievable job of putting this event on. Uh, the rink was was full. It was uh, – and the best part about it was uh, the Leafs alumni won. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wasn't well, there sort of a code you're supposed to let the home team win? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, would you like to see this as a, a regular occurrence or an annual occurrence, Mats? Well, I, I think there was a lot of talk about maybe doing something similar in Canada. Uh, I would, that would, I think, be come out really well. And uh, it, we, like Rick said, we we looked at their lineup before the game, and I said, oh. guys, we we got to we got to be in trouble here. They had the Lidstroms and Forsberg and. <laughs> Henrik Sederberg, I said, God, is he a lot of play? He just retired. <laughs> There's a bunch of other guys there. So, but we did, we did a really good job. And, uh, and I, I think the, the amount of money that we raised and uh, when you have all these great players from the Toronto alumni, but also from Team Sweden, really many of the best that played the last 20 and 30 years, uh, a lot of people came out and, and to, what a great cause. So, It'd be great to see something similar happening in the, hopefully in Canada the next time. Fantastic. Well, I, I, I know they're working on it, Matt's and, uh, oh, great. I think they're they're If they do it, they'll end up getting a charter for the Swedish guys to all yeah. come over to Canada. Yeah. So 
hopefully that comes to fruition and it happens it would yeah. be it would be great and uh awesome you know but uh yep well i was gonna yeah, say it would now, be uh it would be fabulous yeah well, yeah that's something that definitely should be done on an annual basis and i know the reception over here would be fantastic as you guys both know but the reception yeah. of it getting how highly thought yeah. of boria was to the hockey community not only like large but particularly in the toronto area yeah. And just brings me to the question, Mads. How influential was Boyer in your career? Well, you know, uh, we're such a uh, obviously different generation, but I had the chance, my first Canada Cup uh, when I was 20, Boyer was on that team. So we, we did play a Canada Cup together uh, in Toronto. And uh, and then the, the most important thing, once I got traded for the to the Maple Leafs, he, he was really the first... I was up actually in Kirna, where he's his hometown at the time when I, I got I found out about the trade. So I talked to Boria pretty much the same day and and that was very important for me. And then throughout my career with the Maple Leafs, um, there, when things are going well or or things were being tough, he was always there as a great mentor for me. And and when I was asked to get uh, a chance to be the captain, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect from that, but he was so convincing telling me you have to take it Mats. uh it's that's a huge honor to be the captain for in a national hockey league team and especially for the toronto maple Leafs. so he was really monumental in my decision there and and he was always such a great supporter throughout my career so he he, he was very important for me yeah Why? now that was uh yeah. that was interesting you know I always wondered because I, I remember when Harold Ballard, he just came up to me and he says, you're the captain. And yeah. I'm like, like, what do you mean? Like I'm the captain. I was 22 years old and I'm thinking, but if I say no to him, he's going to trade my ass. Yeah. And he more than likely would have if I had said no. And uh, so Boria was, I'm assuming he turned it down, I think, uh, just before Ballard told me that I was yeah. the captain. And I think that probably is one of the reasons why he told you how important it was to take it. Yeah, yeah. Well, he I, told I, Rick and I on the podcast, and we had him on a, a couple of years ago, that um, the biggest mistake he made in his career was not accepting the C wow. of the economy beliefs. Yeah. And he said it was more a language concern than anything, nothing yeah. to do with the team or anything like that. But he, yeah. when he spoke to you, he, yeah. he was very insistent. He said to make sure that you understood what it meant yeah. and you should take it. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, exactly what you, he told me exactly the same thing. He said uh, it was an opportunity that I, I, I felt at the time that I wasn't ready to do, but but he really regret, regretted that the, the rest of his career. So let's. Yeah. Well, he, he was, yeah, he, he helped me along the way too, Matt. Uh, yeah. He sat right beside me for seven years. Yeah. And I got to tell you, he was he was so supportive when I was a young captain. And yeah, those are things that I'll never forget. Yeah, for sure. Well, you also had to, you, you got to tell the devil. You got to tell Matt's the devil story. You had the devil. Well, on one yeah, it's kind of. So I get traded in Toronto and I, I get seated in the middle of Ron Ellis on one side and Bory on the other side. So. It was kind of like that cartoon where you had the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other one, because Ron was a born again Christian at the time. <laughs> and uh, I'm going, which way do I go? And obviously I went more towards Boreas side up, obviously. Now I didn't go skiing in the afternoon of a game or anything, but 
but had a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. Well, so let's let's take Matt's back and to just start off. Like, take us through the early part of when you were a kid growing up and starting to play hockey. How you got involved in the game and just how you got going. You know what? I I, I think uh, it, it would look very similar to what Rick went through as a as a child. I think we're Sweden, as you know, hockey is is. Uh, one of the maybe not as much national sport as in Canada, but it's right up there with with soccer. So, and we have the same winters you do. So, uh, it was just playing street hockey right from the beginning. Uh, we didn't have the connection to the National Hockey League uh, in those days. You know, the '80s and '90s, just because of media, we we were able to see some highlights. But like two, three days later. So the big um, idols that, that we grew up looking at was the national team and the players that were there and, and NHL Swedish players coming over for the big tournaments. But hockey, I, my, my dad is a former goalie, hockey goalie as, uh, growing up. And so we come and my mother is even more interested in sports and that's sports in general, not only hockey, but anything. And that goes on right now. They watch us cross country skiing, world championships, whatever is on TV. And, and so... My background is really from a sports family, two two brothers. I was in the middle. And as you know, the, you're in the middle of the younger one. You want to do what your older brother does. And my uh, older brother starts skating. We have a little lake outside our house where I grew up. And street hockey, anything with, with, with sports. But obviously, hockey was always number one for, for me growing up. Well, I can tell you Mass. two stories about Sweden. I played in Division Two in the 70s. <laughs> and the day I arrived, I played in Gotland in a little town called Roma. Oh, great. And, and when I got picked up at the airport by one of the team managers, first thing he says to me is, Mike, very, very sad day in Sweden today. I said, <laughs> oh, uh, what's wrong? Joran, his name was. And I said, um, he said, oh, Ronnie Peterson died today. Yeah. And I didn't know who Ronnie Peterson was. Yeah. But I turned out he was a racing car driver and he was a national hero. Yeah. So then I started paying a little more attention because then a couple of months or so later, I went to go get a coffee one day and I go into this little restaurant and I'm standing and the guy's ignoring me and yeah. he keeps going shh, shh, and they're turning the radio up. And meanwhile, the guy behind me, Mike, Mike, I go, yeah, he goes, Ingemar, Ingemar, no, no, no yeah. speak. I go, what? And it was Ingemar Stenmark, the downhill skier. They were listening to the race on the radio and the whole place yeah. stops. Yeah. So, I mean, and then with Bjorn Borg, it was at his height. So sports was just like, it was yeah. dying for every Swede that I came across in those days. Like, and th those are some big, I mean, uh, Ronnie Patterson obviously was one of the top uh, F1 drivers in the world at the, at the time when he passed away. And, and uh, you're right, Ingemar Sternmark, I remember going to school, yeah. you know, seventh, eighth grade, we would stop class. Uh, the teacher would roll in the TV, watch his race, yeah. roll the TV back back out just to <laughs> see him race. I mean, Bo uh, Bjorn Borg, Ingemar Stenmark, Ronnie Pedersen, Boris Salming, and there's been many others. But but Sweden is, just like Canada, very sports is very important for the culture in Sweden. And where hockey is really, really up there. When the national team in hockey plays, I would say it draws the most viewers as well of all sports. So it's a very important sport in Sweden, just like in Canada. So, Matt's um early on like you're playing minor hockey like what was it like for you like with two brothers as well um because i know in canada it's very expensive 
Yeah. Uh, and, and even back in the, you know, 70s or, yeah, I hate to say it, but the 60s when I was playing, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was very costly. So my parents kind of did without, didn't go out for dinners and, you yeah. know, buy fancy stuff. It was all no. about getting us what we needed. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Sweden too. Um, you know, my parents, uh, my father worked for the phone company in Sweden. We, I come from a middle-class family. Uh, my, our, our vacation trips went either to my grandmother in where my dad is from or up very up north where my mother is from. So first time I went abroad from Sweden on vacation, I think, was actually when I was 15. And I went to play uh, in a tournament in Manitoba, our hockey team with parents and everything went to play in Manitoba. First time we left Sweden actually was for a hockey tournament. I went to Canada. What a huge uh, adventure that was. And, and we stayed in Canada for two weeks, I think. And that really helped put um, fuel on the fire, on the hockey fire, you know, that, that I want to continue to play hockey. But mm -hmm. I, uh, you, Sweden has the same problem, Rick. Uh, and it's even more... You see even a bigger problem today where hockey is becoming a sport that is only for for people that can afford it and wealthier family. And and hockey hockey in Sweden hasn't hasn't grown since the 70s or 80s. So, you know, we still have only 75,000, I think it's 80,000 registered hockey players. Hasn't changed since the 80s. And and the big cities wow. tough with the building new rinks and everything. So uh hockey federation in sweden has, has its job cut off for them to to keep mm -hmm. high level of hockey for the national team we need to do more for the grassroots hockey in sweden as well i'll give you a little thing i danny Dahu called me uh last week and he asked me to go to a game it was a junior game of uh junior outlaw junior a uh, it was near my place. He said, I want you to go look at this kid. He's still got midget availability and I want you to let me know. So I go to the game. These kids are playing, paying $10,000 a year to play junior A hockey in yeah. this league. I, I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it cost me $15 to get in to watch it for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> then Danny goes, I'll give you the money when I see it. I said, don't worry about it, Christ. It's only 15 bucks. But, hey, that's a lot of money for uh, to watch a, a junior A, not OHL, but uh, yeah. tier, tier two, two junior A, especially a, an outlaw league, which, like I told Danny, I said, the, the hockey is awful. I said, the kid <laughs> I went to see was good, but the, uh, the hockey was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Now, Matt, at what age did you – did you think playing in North America might be a possibility? And was there a point during that period when you sensed you were starting to separate yourself from the other kids your own age as your ability was accelerating? Well, I, I think, you know, both my brothers played hockey. I'm in the middle. And I could I would easily say that, and, and my parents would say that once we started to, I, I was blessed with a, a bigger talent than, than both my brothers. Um, but you know the dream of the national hockey league wasn't really there until you know you're you're 15 16 you understand that the gretzkys were obviously the best place in the world were in the national hockey league and and very coincident the first time when i really thought you know what i might have a chance to go over there was a, a european national tournament where sweden russia czech 
Republic and uh, Finland play a four nation tournament and there was first time scouts there and uh, one old uh, not he wasn't older at the time and you know this is like 1988 maybe um, 87 even um, he came up to me he had gray hair already and he had a big cigar and he said he gave me a Vancouver Canuck pin and he said <laughs> he said uh, uh, Matt keep going I think you're gonna have a chance to get to the National Hockey League and it, and it was Pat Quinn, you know. <laughs> and uh, so when, when I ran into Pat, so that was the first me. And then I didn't see Pat until he became, a, uh, you know, the coach and GM for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously, I saw him in, in, in coaching other teams. But what a coincidence. Uh, but, but that was the first time. And he had that, you know, Pat Quinn had that such a great speaker and, and very, um, he had a presence, you know. And when he said that yeah. to me, looked me in the eye, I said, wow. Maybe I have a shot to, to uh, make it into the National Hockey League. Yeah, what a great, what a great person uh, Pat Quinn is. Yeah. I, mean, I, I remember being at different appearances with him, and we'd be up till three thirty in the morning talking about hockey and and obviously drinking and and that kind of shit. But what a wonderful person uh, Pat was, and and very very knowledgeable uh, as far as hockey goes. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, what will you be in contact at uh, your draft year or the year? What did you know about the NHL draft and any teams approaching you about possibly drafting you and how it all worked? Yeah, well, well, uh, yeah, by the time I, I got to be, uh, you know, uh, in my draft year, obviously, uh, it, it was, a I I had a big, uh, I had a big season with, with, um, Team Sweden that, I mean, uh, Jurgarden, the team I played for that year as well, yeah. getting drafted. And um, I remember uh, uh, I, there was a few of the agents coming over from Canada to visit me and my family. We had some meetings and, and obviously we, we had a, a feeling that I was going to be able to go top five in the draft. And um, we made our way over to Minnesota that year. I, I ended up hiring a... Uh, Bengt Lundholm, former player for the Winnipeg Jets, he worked for for an agent, and and we really liked him. And I ended up going over and for the draft uh, for '89, but obviously didn't know. And and I did the interviews before the draft. Obviously, with the I think the Islanders were really high up there, and and um, Quebec Nordiques, obviously, and some of the other teams. So it was a fantastic experience, and my really. Uh, first time and first time anyone in Sweden really understood anything about the draft. We didn't have any other player before that going that high in the draft. So it was really an eye opener for the people in Sweden to what the what NHL what the NHL draft was all about as well. So it was a fantastic experience. When did you learn when Quebec was going to take well, you? I, I think uh, I think we had a meeting just during that week in Minnesota and they told me before the draft that we're, we're, we're we are going to pick you. So I kind of knew, I think I knew just days before that actually, or a day before maybe. Well, but you never know much... until it's done, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You never know until they actually call your name, I people, guess. And, exactly. Uh... <laughs> people change their mind. People change their mind. Well, you look at, you look at the last couple of drafts, you know, right was, Supposed to go first last year. I mean, everybody was talking about it, and he ended up going what fourth or fifth. Fourth. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I mean, things can happen uh, yeah. leading up to the draft day on the floor. Yeah, absolutely. 
Matt, so Gemini, uh, going through your interview process, any interesting questions from some of the teams? Sorry, I'm getting all, I, my phone is running outside. I get some, some. Oh, I get some juice. Charger in there too. Sorry, go ahead. Say that question again. Yeah, I was what I was going to say. Going through the interview process, did you get any yeah. interesting questions? Um, I think there were. You know, I I can't really remember that much about the interview process and. Uh, but I know, I know as the, the last few tournaments we played as, as, as juniors there were, where you, you talked a lot to the scouts, obviously the last few tournaments and they try to find out more about your personality. I think they're, they're doing even deeper due diligence nowadays on the kids being drafted than, than maybe in 89, but, um, it was a great experience and, and, uh, and uh, there was nothing, I can't remember anything of the really, if there was anything special about the interviews that, that, at that, that point. So talk about arriving at your first NHL camp. Sorry, guys. I hear you back. You're not better. Okay. We're Sorry. <laughs> Are you... <laughs> hey, that, that's just all part of recording live. This, you know, when recording, exactly. we can always adjust this. You know? Sorry. Uh, talk about your first NHL camp. Did you have any idea what you're in store for? And did you, did you obviously, so you did say you spoke to other Swedes about what to expect, but what was yeah. your initial impression? Um, well, it was a shock coming into training camp. I, I think, the, it, obviously, Quebec Nordiques had a very young team. Uh, when I, I think the average age was 21. It was a rebuild. Joe Sackett was a big star, but he didn't have any not much support in his, in the lineup when I came there. Um, the comp, the, the level of competition, you know, when you come into training camp was something different from coming to the Swedish league, you know, coming from the Swedish league and the Swedish system. I think it's a big difference now. I think the Swedish players learn earlier now, but that was a big uh, culture change for me to understand how, how, how hard guys were competing in training camp on the ice, off the ice, uh, the level of, of uh, accountability from the coaches that they ask from the players, and especially for your high draft. So um, it was a culture shock that I it took me a while to adjust to, but but it really made me so much better as a player and made me grow up. But also, you know, yeah, I was not 19 going over there, so it was a very very important year for my I think uh, development as, as a player. I was always a big talent, but. The learn those those other important as, aspects of the game was something I uh, my first few years really helped me do over there. Squid, yeah, no, I um, what was it like in Quebec for you when you first got there and and during the time you were there? Obviously, with the language difference and everything, yeah. I mean, we're not talking English, we're talking mostly French <laughs> in Quebec City. Um, was that a little bit difficult for you, or or did you get through that okay? No, it, it was, you know, uh, Rick, uh, uh, luckily enough, uh, it was all English, you know, with the guys and in the team, coaches. Uh, you, I, I, that's a regret I have, actually, that I didn't get to take the opportunity to actually uh, learn French, you know, being in that city for four years. But, um, you know, in terms of what uh, the, all the communication with the coaches, players in the, in the room was pretty much all... English 
And, you know, in Sweden, you get English from second and third grade in school. So that was easy to adjust. But as the year passed by, obviously, you learn to um, read uh, French and, and uh, understand some of the stuff going on. But, but it's, it's one of those things where you're young. But as you get older, it would have been nice to learn a lot of language there. And I had a really yeah. good opportunity to do that. But um, uh, it, we, you, you get away good playing in, in Quebec. And I'm sure in Montreal, too, just speaking English as well. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's funny you, you mentioned that because I had the same thing. I was born in Ottawa. I lived there until I was almost nine years old. My sister was a year older. We both could have been very, bilingual very, very easily. French school, English at home, whatever. Yeah. But my, my father yeah. taught my mother how to speak French. And I, I, th I always wondered why he never made us learn French. And then I realized yeah. years and years later that the reason was because when they didn't want us to know what they're talking about, they spoke French, my mother and my father. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, that's one of the things that I wish I had been bilingual because I played junior in Quebec and yeah. played with a lot of French guys over the years. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, you did mention Joe Sackett just a couple of seconds ago as a, a budding oh, star. Yeah. So maybe talk about him and also – that same year, or it was on the other end, Hall of Fame material, Guy Lafleur. So from one spectrum to the other, how was all that? Like, how did you absorb all that between those two? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to, to play with Joe Sackick. I think he was very important for me in my first few years. You know, at the time, one of the absolutely best young players in the league. And, and uh, he, he wore the C right away when I came over there. So he really helped me uh, develop and take those next steps as a player. And like you said, one of my strongest memories my first year with the, with the Quebec was coming down to that first game, really nervous, you know, 19. And I was there probably three hours before the game. And I walk into the Quebec in Nordique's dressing room and all the sweaters are up there. And one, you know, with, with, that was such an amazing feeling, I remember. And there was one sweater all the gear missing, it was Guy Lafleur's. And I walk in the back room, and, I, and as I come in there, I look, there's Guy Lafleur. He's already dressed like two and a half hours before the game. <laughs> He's do, doing his stick, skates on and everything. And he looks at me and he said, Mats, great to see, you know, preparation is everything if you want to have a long career and being a great hockey player. <laughs> and and that, that stuck with me my whole career, you know. But, but he, it was such a such an amazing uh, and, and realizing how big he was in in hockey in north america didn't matter if one la or vancouver when he got the puck gee 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 um yeah. that that was huge and and then his standing ovation in montreal i think it was 17 minutes we waited on the blue line when he was <laughs> doing the last oh that's geez. a long that's a long standing ovation oh, uh, well he probably deserved it Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, now, Mats, you start to advance at a pretty rapid pace in Quebec. This young team is yeah. really blossoming. You're lighting it up. But all of a sudden, there seemed to be something missing from the team. But then June 28, 1994, your life would change forever. Yep. You're moved to Toronto on a massive deal. Yep. Uh, you were home in Sweden, I assume, at the time when you heard about this. We talked about it yep. earlier. Um, what was your initial response when you heard this? Are we told? Well, uh, yeah. Uh, well, it, it was. 
I know we were we were uh, talking, or my agent at the time was talking contract with Quebec Nordiques, and uh, so it, we kind of had a, a feeling that things were not going so well with the negotiations. And he told me something might happen this summer, so I wasn't that surprised with the trade. But and coming to Toronto, though, I had no idea what to expect. Obviously, with what it meant being a Toronto Maple Leafs and the yep. city of Toronto and the fans and all that. So that was a big, um, uh, huge uh, change, even though hockey is huge in Quebec City and, and in, in uh, you know, Quebec. So hockey and, you know, Toronto is the hockey capital of the world and, and being part of the Toronto Maple Leafs was such a huge difference from, from the first few year, four years in the National Hockey League. It's great. Yeah, I mean, uh, now, um, was Michel Boulay in Quebec when you were there? No, I think he left a year before I I came over there, one or two years before. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. coming to Toronto, uh, obviously, I mean, what did you think? And, and, of course, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs, much like the Montreal Canadiens or kind of like the Yankees, in major league baseball. And, and so it must've been a, uh, I mean, I know it's big in Quebec city. Don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable how, uh, they're followed there by their fans, but Toronto's a different animal like Montreal. What, what was your first impression when you got to Toronto and all the, the things that were going on? Well, I, I think Boris Salming really helped me uh, in terms of preparation that summer before I went into camp. Um, I think my first year also was a lockout year. I don't yes, think it was. We, yep. we didn't start until uh, December or or even January, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, so, um, uh, but it was a, it was a huge change, just the way the the team was followed and the the magnitude of the of the the care and interest from the city of Toronto. <laughs> The media, uh, the the pressure on the players, you know, yeah. Quebec, Montreal, Quebec, Quebec Nordiques was was also very important. But with just the magnitude of the city of Toronto and and the franchise itself made it even more on a, on a loop. And it didn't help. You got traded for one of the most popular players uh, <laughs> for the Maple Leafs as well. So the first few years were were it was really tough to make everybody happy in Toronto. I remember that. <laughs> so so there must have been obviously a big sigh of relief on your part when you got off to a good start and you started producing because did you start feeling well you said maybe it took a couple of years but did you feel the fans starting to warm up to you and maybe seeing why that trade did take place with your the way you responded by producing? I'll say it took about four or five years. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you're being modest. Yeah, I'm yeah I think you are too. You're being a little just, too modest. I'm just, I'm just kidding. But uh, it was, it was hard, and I, and really, you know, once you look back at your, at your career and all that, it's, uh, you know, you realize uh, why Wendell Clark was so popular in, in, uh, in Toronto, and also with such a different type of players. And Wendell, you know, with his 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 obviously goal scoring ability, his leadership abilities, he played uh, a hard nosed game, dropped the gloves with anyone. And uh, you bring in a Swedish player that they all know he he doesn't like to drop the gloves or play in that game. 
So I know it was it, it, it was an uphill trying to convince uh, the the Maple Leaf community of fans, the great fans, uh, that I was going to be able to help the team and 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 do it in my way. You know, I, we were completely different players, but um, you know, and and but really, those first years with the Leafs too really made me. You know, when when things and we missed the playoffs a few years and things were not going that going that well, or uh, it really put more fire on on uh, put put more fuel on my fire to show that I can be a great leader for the team. I can be a great player, and also I want to make sure that we we have uh, playoff success. So um, it really made me stronger those first uh, few years in uh, in Toronto. Well, not only not only that, replacing Wendell Clark coming in and trying to do that. A couple of years later, they <laughs> replaced one of the most popular captains, sorry, Squid, of all time, with Dougie Gilmore. <laughs> and they make you captain. I mean, somebody must have had it out for you saying, what are they trying to do to me here? Yeah. You know, God almighty. Yeah, I, I think I think Doug, the when he left, I uh, you know, obviously he was. I think it was he he uh you know and and there's another i mean both uh Doug and and uh, Wendell uh, Joe Sackick were so important for me in the early stages of my career in terms of leadership and and uh, becoming a, a a good player and and adding qualities to my game that you know as a player you always try to you know there's certain things you do well but there's other things you have to improve and those guys really helped me improve with with the other parts of my game to make me more complete and so I'm very grateful to to Doug and Wendell and obviously Joe Sackick early on and and other great players that I got a chance to play with. They made me a better player and they, they kept me developed into more complete hockey player. It's great. You know, it's funny. I, looking at that last or the picture before that was uh, I saw McGilney in there. You, you played with Alex McGilney? Yeah, I had Alex yep. on my wing for a few years as well. Oh boy, I'll tell you what a great player he was. I played with him in Buffalo and I still wonder why his name never comes up for the Hall of Fame. Uh, with the numbers that he put up and the ability that he had, I'm like, yeah. you got to be kidding me. Like, they, they don't even bring his goddamn name up. And I'm like, <laughs> how do you not look at this guy and say he should be in the Hall of Fame? And Steve Larmer's another guy. Uh, yeah. it, it just puzzles I, me like yeah. crazy. But, but I, I, I think Alex, uh, I was a little bit unfortunate. Alex came to Toronto. I think he was 35. I, I would say he's probably the most talented player I had mm. on my, on, you know, on the wing. I, I mean, Rick, I, I saw what you, when he had his 50, 60, whatever goal seasons, obviously he, <laughs> he had problem problem with his hip when he came to, came and played with me. And I remember going in the gym and I, I told Alex, you know, Alex, Fuck! If you if you work out and 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 push a little harder, you can you're gonna be able to play many more years in this league. And he looked at me and said, now "Why would I want to do that?" Well, see, that's that's the thing about him, right? He seemed to be, as you touched on, he's one of those guys that not a lot of them do it. A lot of players do it today, but back in that period, he was a guy who actually skated faster with the puck than he did without it. And his skill level was off the charts, even at 35 oh, years of age. Yeah. I mean, but he seemed to almost give that impression that he didn't take himself too serious, and hockey was just something he was good at. I, I think late. I mean, <laughs> when when I when he told me that, I think he he was really fed up with a bad hip, and obviously it was a struggle for him. Uh, but I mean, Alex McGillney playing in today's game when he was in great shape, 
I mean, he scored 60, oh. 70 goals in today's game where no one allowed a hook and hold him. But a fantastic first try, like explosive, and an unbelievable mm -hmm. shot. Right, Rick? Oh. Well, everybody asked me, when they asked me, who's the best player you ever played with in, in the National Hockey League? And his name comes up first for me every single time. I've watched him yeah. go from a standstill to full speed in two yeah. quick strides. Yeah. I saw him put the puck under defenseman's stick, and the next thing you knew, he was around the defenseman, and he scored a goal. And I go, how the hell did he do that? Like, But it was a lot of fun watching him and, and getting to play on the same line with him a few times, and yeah. uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, and then all of a sudden – like me, he hated flying. So I used to sit with him on the flights all the time because it made me feel better because he was worse than I was. And uh, and then he decided the one time that he was not going to fly anymore. So they had to drive him to every single game in the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> like he we he landed in Detroit from L.A. We, we were changing planes and we had to go to another gate. We're waiting, and somebody said, Where, where's Alex? We're all looking around. I don't know. Well, he ended up taking a bus back to Buffalo from Detroit. <laughs> After that, he just drove everywhere. They had a driver that took him to all the games, and it was pretty crazy, but he was a phenomenal player, boy, I'd say. Yeah. Well, go ahead, Matt. No, I, I agree with Rick. It's funny you said that, but if I would say – who's the most talented player that I play with uh, uh, in, in, in Toronto, for sure, you know, uh, he'd, be, he'd be the one. And, and uh, like I said, you can, he did things on the ice that no, no one else could do. And he was already 35. Yeah, I mean, I wish he came and, and played with me like five or six, seven years before that. We, it would have been fun. Yeah. One of the coaches you played with, you mentioned already, uh, Pat Quinn. You must have had a funny conversation with him when he became your coach. Uh, and, and Pat Burns, and of course, another one who's still coaching today, Paul Maurice. Talk about some of the different subtle differences between their styles of coaching and maybe the influence they had on you. Well, I think all three of them that you mentioned were were great coaches in, in different ways. I think uh, Pat Quinn was uh, a presence you know, as a, mm -hmm. a speaker coming into the room, he was a, um, you know, one of those guys. And I think for all, all great coaches and leaders, they have that presence where they don't have to say anything, but you right away sense that you, 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 you respect this man for what he is, very honest. He was a player's coach. Like, I, I remember as being the captain all the years when Pat was a coach, and the guys would be back in the plane or the bus. Go up and see if we can get a day off tomorrow, Matt. And I'm like, All right. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think Pat said no when I asked him. You know, of all these years coming from a road trip or a win or a loss, or and guys were tired and say, go up and see if we can get a day off. I don't think he said no once. He said, Matt, you think oh. so? All right, let's let's have a day off. And. Um, he he. Um, so he was certainly, uh, and some of the speeches he had before games, before playoffs, and all that, really brought the guys together. And you wanted to win for Pat. I, I think Pat Burns had um, absolutely the same presence in the room. He he was also very tactical in terms of who he was playing against who, and very 
maybe even more than Pat into in systems and all that and and uh, you know making sure that we're taking care of defense and all that. But but also it's same. I, I don't think any coaches at this level being around for that long as Pat Burns and and Pat Quinn they have the qualities, the pedigrees to to be successful and get the guys to rally, get the guys to rally around them, right? And and same yeah. with Paul Maurice. And I would say yeah. Paul Maurice and Pat Burns more emotional and, and really uh pushing the, the top guys too on the team. And and so did Pat Quinn. But uh, Pat Burns and Paul Maurice, they looked at these top guys and you guys gotta lead. And I'm expecting you to lead in practice. I expect you to take care of the guys off the ice. And when we come to the game, I'm going to give you the ice time, but I, I demand you to be the best players out there too, which I think is, is is a lot of respect and a credit to them. And I think having those three guys made me a better player. They gave me ice time. They gave me confidence to be out there and, and be the best I can be. And very grateful to have, have a chance to play for all those three guys. Yeah, it's funny uh, you mentioned <laughs> <laughs> the day off. I, I, I don't think I ever went to one of my coaches because I knew the answer was going to be no. <laughs> it, yeah. And they, not, none I mean, of the other guys want to go up and ask Pat because everybody was scared of Pat. And I said, I'll go and ask now, name um, Now, some of the other guys you played with, actually, let's, let's take, let's, let's, I'd better ask you this. The player you, who, in your eyes, you played with, or maybe there's a few players, exemplified what being a pro was. The way he carried himself both on the ice and off the ice. Wow, that's a good one. Um, but I mean, there's there's so many, I think. And you know, if you play in the National Hockey League for many years and all the guys that have been there that that have careers that surpasses five, ten years, I think are very professional. I mean, Joe Sackick, obviously, mm -hmm. what I when I came over, very important. Doug Gilmore, um, you know, I had a chance to play with Gary Roberts. Um, many, many guys. Uh, a guy that was really in my, when we were at, a, at the top, you know, uh, going to the conference finals, Russian guy, Dmitry Yuskevich. He was like a, a mm -hmm. tank, blocking shots, nothing really fancy. And, and I remember Dmitry told me, at a, we played together already for a year and a half, almost in the second season together. And he come up to me and says, Matt, I said, I want to talk to you. I said, all right, what, what's going on? He said, you know, I, I didn't really like you the first year. I said, all right. <laughs> but then he said, but then he said, now I have so much respect for you. I love you now. I said, thank you very much. For that, Jimmy. <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I think the years when we made it to the conference finals, you know, twice, and we had good runs into the second round many of those years, there was a different group of guys all the time, but there's so many guys that really, that I remember, obviously Ty Domi was important for me. I, he keeps reminding me that I don't have any concussions because of him. He was pretty <laughs> <laughs> um, But Ty, Ty was really um, uh, great. And he was, you know, uh, as you know, he's a better player than, than giving credit for. He was important, but there were so many guys there. My, I mean, Curtis Joseph, we have so many, and I, I'm probably forgetting guys too, but I'm very grateful to the Pat Quinn era, parts of the Pat Burns as well, and, and Paul Maurice. But those years with Pat, where we went deep into the playoffs, we had really strong groups. 
And for me, I'm a big believer. If you have the culture in the room and when guys started playing for each other, you know, and, and, and when you have the top players on the fort line are as committed to winning and doing the stuff on the ice, then you have a, a great chance to go deep in the playoffs. And those years were very important for me. And, and that's why we did well, I think. Well, I remember those years very well because I was doing Leafs TV at the time. And uh, I remember those playoff pushes and everything. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I didn't get an opportunity to go that far. I think the second round was the furthest they got. But yeah. getting to see that from a different perspective, being on Leafs TV was fabulous. It was, it was so yeah. much fun. And yeah. uh, and then I was there when you scored your 500th goal. And I remember that like it was yesterday. <laughs> Yep, I was at that game too. As a matter of fact, against Calgary, um, Calgary Flames slapper from the just overtime. inside the circ, uh, blue line, top shelf. Yes. <laughs> um, now, a couple of guys you mentioned as pros on and off the ice were also Hall of Fame pranksters by the name of Doug Gilmore and Ty Domi. Mm. Were you ever <laughs> a victim of one or both of those guys pranking you? You know what? Uh, uh, oh, oh, for sure almost every week i think in, in different ways but <laughs> dougie, dougie was probably the, the the funniest with all those different pranks but uh i i think and, and rick correct me if i'm wrong here but i think when you have uh, guys like that in the dressing room they're you know playing in the market like toronto there's a lot of pressure yeah. a lot of media focus uh you're you're together in a long grinding season playing every other day you go into playoffs to have someone actually ease up the tension in a dressing room on a daily basis where guys enjoy coming in, whether it's a pregame, pre-practice stretch, or I remember though, and there's a lot of teasing going on and, and joking with each other. I, I, I think that's so important when you when you try to bond the team and get guys to commit to each other, that that you know, high high ceiling, a lot of joking and but but that kind of builds that that glue in, in a team, you know, and, and make guys come together. So I think those are, are kind of secrets that you don't think about as a player or as a – and that goes beyond the players. I think this, the training staff and, and everybody is around, yeah. the equipment managers, when guys have a little bit of that that uh, glare in their eyes and there's jokes being around, that's so important for, for a team to be able to manage to go through a long season and then and it, even better into a playoff. So very important. I think those those – players that did that and Dougie was one Ty uh, Glenn Healy was one that when I played with there's a there's a bunch of them very important to to um to build that culture of a team yeah I absolutely I don't think there's any question about that I mean I, when I was in Toronto I mostly all older guys and there was a few pranksters and the funniest one I can remember though happened to the owner um <laughs> Harold used to get his legs rubbed before practice, but on this particular day, he decided to do it after practice. So he was in the shower and sauna, whatever. And one of the guys had put uh, the baby powder in the hairdryer. And then we see him coming out of the shower when we walk back in the dressing room. And I'm worried like, oh God. Well, sure enough, he grabbed that hairdryer. There was all over him, there was uh, baby powder. And he, he came out. He thought it was the funniest joke ever, and he laughed his ass off. <laughs> I can't remember who did it, but 
Um, we had three or four guys that were always doing like those types of things. And that, I think that just took a little bit of pressure off us going into games. Yeah. Well, a guy like Doug Gilmore, there's, there's nobody that's safe. He told us a story that he was in Calgary. They were at a neighbor's for, uh, you know, outside in the winter doing a fire and standing around and having drinks. And he tapped one of the neighbors on the shoulder and said, come on in here with me. And he went into the guy's kitchen and took all the labels off all the cans in the pantry. <laughs> and I'll tell you, when we had him on our show, I had to check my shoes before I, I, I got up from the table here. Because even though he was on a screen, I didn't trust him. I thought maybe something was going to happen to me or something was going to blow up on my face. So well, every was, time I see him, like if I'm around him, all of a sudden I get a pinch on the back of my leg. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> it's Dougie. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, anyway, we just got a couple minutes left, and we want to tie, tie you up too long here, Matt. So, again, thank you for joining us. Something about playing for the Maple Leafs that you've touched on a number of things, but that not only surprised you, but would surprise the listeners. I, I think the listeners uh, know, you know, and, and the respect that when you're a player for the Maple Leafs and wear that blue and white um, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs is an institution in, in Canada. I tell my friends here in Sweden, it's by far the, the you know, hockey is the, the number one sport in Canada. And, and to get a chance to be a player and wear the blue and white, um, you know, uh, it's such a privilege. And I, I feel so blessed now, long after my career, to be able to spend 13 years for the Toronto Maple Leafs to um, have fans come up to me and, and pull up their sleeve and said, Matt, I ble bleed blue and white, man. Come on, <laughs> let's win the Stanley Cup. Um, so um, it, it was such a huge honor. And the older I get, I, I, I really appreciate it so much. I'm so grateful to get a chance to, to represent the great fans of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the city of Toronto, and and the greatest fr franchise in hockey. And uh, for me, uh, those moments, and obviously I carry with me the rest of my life and take those, exper those experiences also with me the rest of my life. Yeah, I, there's no question about that. I, you're, you're very correct on that, Matt. And what amazed me when I came to Toronto was going to other cities and seeing how many fans were Leaf fans in the stands. I mean, like everywhere in Canada, we go to Vancouver yeah. and 50% of the fans would be Leaf fans. I mean, yeah. it was fabulous. It was, yeah. you can't get any better than that when you go on no. the road and you feel like you're the home team. <laughs> exactly. And same in lots in LA, Tampa, yeah, you know, wherever we went, you know, there, there's uh, great support for the for the great franchise Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. Well, Matt, I don't know if you know or not, but you probably don't. But during the 2018-19 season, I followed them. I'm retired, obviously. I followed the Maple Leafs for all 89 games throughout yeah. the season, and um, I documented all the fans. I met fans at every rank. I met yeah. Rick a couple of times doing uh, things for the Leafs, but. And some of the stories that people shared with me were just unbelievable, like how open they were and how far this team goes back, right to the 30s with teams and generations of being passed down. And yeah. all these people, I mean, everywhere across North America. And there was a different story from people putting players' numbers on to parents' grave to weddings being postponed because the Leafs were playing 
or birthdays, <laughs> all these kind of things and all these stories that were shared with me was just, it was unbelievable. My, me being a fan all my life, but going out and finding this and yeah. these people sharing these stories was just something else. Great work. I, I, those, that stuff is great. More of that. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, Matt, we, I want well, to thank you so before much. Before we leave, though, oh, Matt, so right? I got yeah. to say that, like, what you've done in, in Toronto and what you achieved is, you know, the sweater retired, the statue, 500 goals, the leading point guy for the Leafs of all time. I mean, I got to say, that is just outstanding. And, and you deserve all the accolades that, that you get for what you did with the Leafs. Yep, hear you. Thank you very much, Rick. And coming from a, a, a great player like yourself and a former captain, uh, it means even more. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I got to try to just convince my kids uh, <laughs> to respect me more. You know, they, they keep forgetting that I used to play hockey at the highest level, but now they just see me as dad. So I have to show them, I have to get on the, on the internet and show them some old hockey clips. Yeah, or get them absolutely. on the ice and kick that around them a couple of times. Exactly. <laughs> all right, Matt. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. Great seeing you, and uh, thanks once again, and all the best in the future. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great afternoon there. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks.